Is there such a thing as a traveler? Not a Delta. Because we know on one flight, Mike in 8C prefers reality TV to reality. So we provide more than 1,000 hours of in-flight entertainment. While on the flight after, 8C is occupied by Jen, whose favorite snack is tea. That's why we provide fast, free Delta Sync Wi-Fi available for SkyMiles members. Because at Delta, we know. Refill? Everyone flies their own way. Delta. Keep climbing. Free Wi-Fi available on most domestic flights. Terms of use apply. Go spread the word. When you get a fresh, hot McCrispie from McDonald's and you can feel the heat coming through the bag, don't try to wait till you get home. Always respect hot chicken. The McCrispie. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hello and welcome to another episode of I Weigh with Jamila Jamil, a podcast against shame. So this week I have the internet's boyfriend on the podcast. His name is Penn Badgley. You may know him from Gossip Girl or one of the biggest serial killer shows in the world, You, in which he plays an extremely handsome and strange and charming serial killer and I didn't really know a lot about Penn Badgley like to me he kind of felt more of a mysterious member of the kind of gossip girl crew and so I wasn't super familiar with him until you know obviously I'd see like pictures of him on the internet or videos and stuff and he would seem like a kind of like funny sweet man but it wasn't until I went on his podcast Podcrushed which is incredibly good and incredibly relatable and fun in which they talk about the kind of ways in which your teen experiences shape you I highly recommend listening to it but it was when I was a guest on that that I really kind of got a chance to witness him and just totally adored him immediately. He's such a sensitive, kind, intelligent man. He gives women space to fucking talk and think. And he just seems like he's really on a journey of constant self-reflection, self-improvement and just a better understanding of the world. And so I asked him to come on this podcast because I think he's fascinating and I think he's gone through a lot of fascinating things. I mean, he's had a wild career, becoming so famous and being so objectified at such a young age. And that's a lens we don't really talk about a lot because when it's happening to women, we're more familiar with what that situation is and a lot of us object to it. And yet when it's happening to men, there's no real discourse around how dehumanising that can also be for a guy, especially a young man who's going through that. So we sort of get into that in real depth in a way that I think you'll find incredibly relatable. And I think it's such an important subject to be able to discuss what that does to the brain. And in this episode, we discuss society's obsession with romance and the difficulty of being sexy on screen. We discuss how his fame has affected his children's experiences. We discuss his journey with his mind and his emotions and where he is with finding peace. We discuss sensitivity within men and thinking within men. It's just a, it's a lovely, fun, warm and deeply personal chat. And I love hearing these kinds of conversations from men. We need, we need so much more of that. We have such a rise of such toxic ideology rising from men on social media. And to have a voice like pens in this world just makes you feel like, oh, thank God thank Christ, there's someone out there who's sane. And so I think for that reason, and just the fact that he's so interesting, you're going to really enjoy this chat. He's a wonderful human and I like him very much. And I think you will too, if you're not yet familiar with him the way that I wasn't before. So without further ado, this is the totally adorable and brilliant Penn Badgley.
Penn Badgley, welcome to I Weigh. How are you? I am good. I'm good. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. It's so nice to see you. Uh, we only met for the first time recently when I was on your excellent podcast, Podcrushed. Thank you for having me. And I was um, pleasantly surprised as to how well we all got on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think that's fair. You never know. I think when you've sort of grown up watching someone on TV, you have no idea what their their vibe is like. And you're you're you have been until recently an incredibly private person, as far as my perception is. And so I didn't really have a sense of you. And it's been really nice to kind of in bits and bobs get to know you now. You're the second person in an interview uh, in the last like week who has said that I am very private, and I don't feel that way at all. I mean, I feel like there's a whole lot of me that is very public. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, we'll get into what that. What metric for private are we using here? No, but I think that maybe it's also that you know when you were coming up, people were less asked about their opinions and feelings on things. You know, they wanted yeah. more media trained. You know, I was around at that time. Right, I was right, an right. interviewer. I would never have asked for your opinion <laughs> on anything. We just wanted to play stupid fucking games. Dating advice yeah, for Cosmopolitan. Exactly. Yeah. So I think it was also a different time for actors. It's almost become a bit weird how much we ask everyone for their opinions on every single thing. I think it's kind of ruined. Oh, yeah. It's ruined the way that we perceive a lot of actors because we can't see them as the character anymore. We see them as their full identity. I have to say, I think about that. Well, I shouldn't say a lot, but when I do, the conclusion I've come to is like, I think it would be better mm -hmm. if we just didn't have... How could actors not be famous? Is there a way? Can we, I mean, surely there's a way. It just feels like, you I know. I mean, there was you a know, way. There was yeah, but, a way. But then they were like iconic at the level of a demigod and that was problematic too. I feel like mm -hmm. I can't, for me, I mean, because I come from the world of film and TV and I know everything about how something is made. Um, so it's already hard for me to to actually watch something, you know, and not. Dissect it. Yeah, just sort of know how the sausage is made and just not be able to enjoy it. But I think furthermore, when a performance is good, especially by those who are like really, really good and become very, very well known for how good they are, all I can think about is the real person giving a great performance. I'm almost never, almost never, and I, I think I mean that, mm -hmm. enjoying something that I'm watching like just for what it is, just for, and it really suspends my disbelief, you know? Yeah. Do you like expressing yourself and your opinions and your feelings now or oh, I, love some, it. I mean some people do I think I think at the beginning I really enjoyed yeah. it because I really liked to have a real conversation I can't I can't stand trivial interviews mm. I can't stand small talk it really like brings out something almost emotionally violent in me so I enjoyed being able to have a real chat what I couldn't have accounted for is like little parts of my real chat being taken and blown so wholly yeah. out of proportion where they no longer become my words and I kind of become quite dehumanized. So I feel like I, I started and I was so open and then have now wanted to kind of start <laughs> finding a way to pull it back. And that's why it's yeah. nice that we have our own podcast because we have a kind of safe space where whoever wants to know the context of what we think can opt in. Yes. So, well, that's, that go yeah, I mean, theoretically, but I think even that, I just recently said to my co-hosts, Nava Kavlin and Sophie Ansari, they're both former middle school teachers or administrators. And um, I'm not trying to, to bump my show. I'm just giving context here. Uh, but it is called Podcrush and it's available on all platforms wherever <laughs> you... <laughs> I pick um, I'm terrible at advertising for the podcast. So, But uh, I recently said to them, we were thinking about a question to ask somebody. And this matter of like safe space... I don't, I don't think we have it on our own show either because it's still, I don't know how this one works for you, but you can't make anything if it's not 
generating some kind of like interest and income, right? It's just not capitalism doesn't allow for it. The companies that we work for don't allow for it. And that's understandable. It's not even Mm -hmm. a grave judgment. So everything is constantly sort of needing to be exploited in order to generate some kind of interest or income. You know, it's just just, Mm -hmm. so, you know, I've said things that have felt innocuous or things that are definitely not innocuous on my own podcast. And then there's this moment where, you know, my co-producer and the PR kind of person at Stitcher will be like, hey, we're thinking this is a, you know, a good little soundbite to run with. Are you cool with it? And I'm just like, oh, fuck. Um... Let me think about it, knowing that everybody wants me to say yes. <laughs> and then I'm like, sure. And then, it, you know, invariably there's there's been at least several times where a headline from my own show is taken out of context. Is is something is is just something where I'm like, oh, I really wish I didn't have to do that. I really wish that conversation didn't have to go so public and and sort of have to exploit itself. Well, I mean, you know? what part of our chat, like one line that I'd said. Went so fucking viral after I went yeah, on your one? podcast. Which it one? was about how I had not auditioned for you, uh, your show, as in not for you, oh, right. Ken Badley, uh, as in I had not auditioned <laughs> for your show because I didn't want to do sex scenes. Oh, right, right, right. And, and, then, then, whole, and, yeah, and then when the sure. show came out, it turned out you'd also like massively pulled back on sex scenes. I was like, fuck, should have gone for the yeah. audition. But they framed it as though I walked away dramatically from your That's show right, for- after being <laughs> pressured specifically yeah. by you to get my tits out. To do out. a sex yeah. scene. Yeah. Yeah. So I was, um, I was really frustrated with the way that, that got portrayed. It was like such a, a laughingly like throwaway comment. Yeah. It was just, it was just a moment. Yeah. Where I was just saying I didn't do an audition, like big fucking deal, but it made mm-hmm. it look like, you know, that role was mine, but you guys were begging for my bum hole. And I said, no. <laughs> First it was tits and now it's bum It hole. escalated it fast. Gonna- <laughs> yeah. But it was um, it was surreal to see how how viral that went, like how much press that picked up, and I I definitely got like a kind of taste of the machine. So can we can we get into that subject a bit? The one that yeah. you know has already people have such an out of context idea of because I thought your perspective of that was much more interesting than mine because we so rarely hear men talk about this. I would like to get into this with you on your own yeah sure kind of terms. You've been speaking, I think, in a bit more detail as well recently about the fact that the reason that you had pulled back so many sex scenes in in your show, You, which has a, a lot of sex scenes, given the nature of the character mm. and the story that you finally said, because you weren't comfortable from the beginning, right? You almost walked away from the role. Yeah, I mean, y- yes, to put it simply, having like at all explicit love scenes, something that I am, of course, very familiar with. Uh, it was just from back in 2017 when I was considering taking the role. It was something that I thought was possibly for me at this point a no-go in my, in my, in myself, you know, for mm-hmm. myself. And so it of course led me to think like, am I going to have a career or how do, how do I have a career considering where I've come from and what I'm known for mm-hmm. and what the opportunities that are available to me or will be available to me? How am I going to make that work? You know, that was a that was a very real question. I mean, such a real question that it was like, wow, what am I going to do? You know, like, am yeah, I, it's make or break. And that wasn't the only thing, by the way, at all. But it was one of them. And, you know, of all people, my wife in, encouraged me at the time to among the many things not not to prioritize that one as much, because in a way, the way that I was trying to weigh it all was actually you know, I was trying to make such moral decisions in a way 
that mm-hmm. it, that it left me that it afforded me very little opportunity to say yes to anything in my industry. I think there were about a billion um, misunderstandings when you first came out and spoke about it in a way sure. that really stunned me. Like, a just how many opinions people have about what someone chooses to do with their own body I, I, yeah, is very right. uh, odd. But um, some people were upset because you said that you kind of felt like an element of infidelity, and it was around the time of your marriage to your now wife. Mm-hmm. Um, that you were choosing to, not you might choosing, that you were starting to feel that extra discomfort. Is it because of marriage and the infidelity aspect that you kind of feel around being so physically close to and intimate with someone? Or is it just generally something that you're a little bit uncomfortable with? I mean, I think it's both. I think, so like getting away from the, and I'm saying this more to me than I am to you, but getting away from like all the intellectual kind of uh, gymnastics that we all have to perform trying to talk about a lot of this stuff, it comes down to like some very simple feelings. Part of it is love and affection. Part of it is trust and fidelity. Part of it is intimacy and boundaries and physical touch. But it's just at the end of the day, like how many people know what it's like for work to have to generate what we call chemistry between yourself and another person who you who you had no real part in choosing, by the way, mm-hmm. and then acting like you're in a relationship and fostering at least some form of those feelings, mm-hmm. at least some form, whatever that form is. I Go ahead and I challenge anybody to lay out empirically what forms those are it's just it's like what the what is that it's also like it's also very silly to act like that doesn't have any kind of intimacy because loads of my friends who are in this industry got together exactly playing playing lovers or left other relationships right because they had to fall in love with someone on screen and then they found the sex scenes really fucking hot even though of course we're not supposed to because we're just supposed to be eunuchs like it's it's not not a thing it does feel fucking mental right let's back away from the intellectual gymnastics we all perform around this and be like come on guys first of all there's very few people who know what it is to actually do this so uh, i appreciate your opinion and feelings but they're not as valuable to me when i'm making this decision because i know what it's like yeah and intimacy coordinator doesn't change the biology of your brain it makes everything safer it reduces the chance for exploitation is what it does 100 percent. yeah and it it keeps everyone you know working within their own like boundaries and you know exactly what's going to happen i think freestyle sex scenes are truly one of the craziest phenomenas of our time you know where people were just sort of told well have at it um and that rarely happens anymore thank god but i find kissing someone else fucking mental i find it yeah i don't like it i mean it's it's yeah and and by the way like let's stop let's stop performing intellectual gymnastics that's fine and normal it's fine and normal to not yeah. f- to feel weird about having to kiss somebody and touch somebody who you are not spontaneously and voluntarily doing it with. M- most of all, and then by the way, I'm still kind of performing yeah. intellectual gymnastics. It's not the person you like. It's not the person you love. I mean, if if we were th- the most spiritually enlightened version of ourselves, and we were all, and our boundaries were exquisite mm-hmm. and immaculate, and we all knew every gradation of, you know, like physical and emotional stimulus and response and 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 boundary and consent and all that okay but th- that's not the world we live in and that's not who we are so like it just it's just it's just kind of preposterous to mm-hmm. me that there's so much intellectual resistance and emotional dishonesty around this very simple matter like who the fuck hasn't yeah. basically felt the most feelings around the <laughs> tiniest of little things when it comes to love and touch and sex Show me, show me a relationship that's really working. Show mm-hmm. me, you know, people who are 
very happy in their love lives. Show me anybody. Like, come on. It's very, it's, it's dehuman, it's dehumanizing for us to think in this way that we can just separate. Like I'm aware that acting is acting, but also then at the same time, we all say that, you know, one of the reasons why it's important to have people from lived experience be more likely to get cast in the roles that suits them is because there's more authenticity because they're drawing from themselves. You know, you're drawing that chemistry and that passion and all these different things from within yourself. I mean, I've only kissed six people off camera. And so, you know, like it's something that I am especially like precious with, you know, we discussed my discomfort even with watching sex scenes that other people are in (laughs) when I was on your show. (laughs) And so, you know, I've only kissed, I think Manny, Manny Jacinto, like Tim Meadows and Flula, three, (laughs) three lovely guys, three lovely guys kissed them. And it was like the most, because I'm, I only do comedy roles and I turn down anything that I would be required to be sexy or sexual in. Um, So it massively like reduces the amount of work that I can do because so when people look at me and because I've, you know, I'm voluptuous at all, whatever, they uh, think of me immediately in the kind of loving worlds. And unfortunately, so many of these things involve so much intimacy. And I never know why, because I've personally never been that uh, enlightened as yeah. to a story by the fucking sex scene. I know that it is important. So I think especially within you, I could see uh, that within you, the show, like I could see why it would be yeah, uh, but I mean, relevant. But it's so rare that you need like, what happened to the, what happened to the beginning of the kiss and then cut <laughs> to the crashing wave or the champagne being, you know, popped open. Like I liked the innuendo days. I don't want to see ev- everything. Like it feels like a, it feels like a big deal kissing someone who isn't my partner, you know, and, and people might mock or ridicule that but it just is what it is and a lot of more of us are feeling that way than we say but we don't feel like we're allowed to object right but this is the thing even this the fact that we still feel the need to make disclaimers you know first of all there's no one present in this conversation other than you and me and so so unfortunately in these kinds of scenarios all we can do is imagine some kind of response of of the proverbial them you know just like Mm -hmm. as we all do in our heads and our minds which goes back to childhood experience and goes back to a lot of things that we could dig into but (laughs) um Mm -hmm. You know, oh, we will. Right. I, I just think that it's like what you just said is the crux of it. I feel something like I feel weird kissing someone who's my partner. And, you know, maybe that's uh, y- you could you could make all kinds of clarifications. But guess what? What's the most important thing to everybody at the end of the day? Usually it's love in, in some form in, in, in actually in its in its primary forms, which is through family and through partners and through friends. That's just what matters. Mm-hmm. If that wasn't true, we wouldn't watch shows that are all about these relationships. Mm-hmm. We watch more television than ever. We watch television probably more than anything. Mm-hmm. And what is it about but love? In family, in friends, and most of all, in romance. So if we don't care about these things as much, we should stop telling these stories all the time and watching these stories all the time. And if we didn't care about when you kiss somebody other than your partner or when your partner kisses somebody other than you, or more than that, if we didn't think it was a big deal, then why the fuck is every story also about that? (laughs) You know, why is every love story, and I'm of course generalizing, but why are so many love stories told about that specific feeling, that specific feeling and not any other. So therefore it's fair for us to have certain kind of emotions. I'm not even saying fair. Can we, can like we live in such an, an intellectual and emotional and spiritually dissociated time. Mm -hmm. Is it fair? No, it's how you feel. There's no fairness mm-hmm. in feeling. It's how you feel. It's also how seemingly I believe everybody feels. We could intellectualize around all these things around other ways of forming relationships. But the truth is, to me, my understanding and all of my experience is that takes such a hypothetically advanced 
trust and boundary keeping, which in and of itself, it's a snake eating its tail. It's like if we want to talk about boundaries and trust, it's between people. Like, again, I'm saying this because we're in the conversation and I, I know that for myself, it was a, it was a very clear and simple boundary. It just was not clear and simple how I was ever going to set it or if I could. Yeah. 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 Well, I also think, you know, I've spoken about this in the fucking past uh, plenty of times in interviews and people didn't really blink. No one, there was no backlash against me when I said it about myself, mm. but there is, you know, we touched on this a bit on your podcast, that there is an extra special double standard that we reserve for especially handsome men who feel this way where we we just can't compute it because I think the understanding of men amongst far too many people not all people is that you're all just like rabid sex dogs who uh, should will eat what they're given and it feels very affronting to some people in a way that really stuns me whenever it happens happened to you know my friend Lucas Bravo who's on Emily in Paris where he was like I feel a bit uncomfortable with how much I'm being objectified and the backlash against him was so vile and weird and people really turned on him and then turned on the character just because a young man said oh it's making me a bit it's just a bit uncomfortable like I want to be seen as more than that any woman said that we would all rally behind her but it it is especially discombobulating yeah it's the plight of men I mean I I would like to just call it the plight of men (laughs) (laughs) that's that's the uh, that's the entire theme of this podcast so welcome um but it is it is uh it, it is very strange and it's as if men and don't have sensitivity or don't have any discomfort around these issues. It's, it also feels like some people try to turn it into, wow, you must not have a very trusting relationship if you don't feel safe having intimacy scenes when you uh, have a wife and they were almost blaming her for it. It was, it got fucking crazy. No, I mean, she, 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 Domino got a lot of hateful sort of uh, messages in her. Shit in her inboxes and in her various inboxes. And, you know, again, that whole thing of the, the inevitable exploitation of all people and things surrounding, you know, and for what, by the way, by the way, let, let's be real. Like I can feel all my feelings about it. Everybody, anyone who wants can feel their feelings about it. But at the, at the end of the day, what happened was I said something in the context of a conversation on my own podcast. It became a news item for a, a little bit. And then, you know, so many people became invested in what can't be called a conversation, by the way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's more like, um, let's all play darts at the same time. And there's just a bunch of darts being thrown at the wall. Mm-hmm. And everybody's trying to say something in response to a conversation they w- weren't a part of and are still not a part of. Every, you, you know what I mean? What I'm trying to outline is like, what's actually happening? Like, we, we call it a conversation. We call it like discourse. But sometimes I'm like, <laughs> this is all so chaotic. No, it turns into gladi. It turns into gladiator. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Now, listen, we all carry around different stresses, big, small, medium size, and a lot of us keep them bottled up because sometimes we just have to. But doing that all of the time can really, really start to negatively impact your life. And I say that from experience. I'm British. We are told to never say how we're feeling about anything ever. And uh, that's why so many of us are so sad. Now, a way that I was able to remedy that was by having therapy, which was super helpful for me, not only because it's amazing to get things off your chest, but also all week you know as you're bottling things up because it's not always the time or place to say exactly how you feel you know you're gonna get that hour 
where you're able to get everything off your chest and say it exactly as you want to. And this therapist isn't going to take it personally. And they're not going to hold it against you or throw it back in your face during an argument over dinner next week. You just have this complete freedom. Honestly, I think everyone should have therapy, regardless of whether they think they need it, because it's so amazing to have a confidant. It's a journal that talks back to you and helps you with all of your problems. I think therapy is just a safe space to get everything off your chest to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. And if you're thinking of starting therapy, then maybe you should give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be super convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. All you have to do is fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and then you can switch therapists if you don't like them anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com forward slash iWay today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash iWay. Home isn't just a place. It's a state of mind. Like curling up in a comfy chair while it's cold outside. With a warm drink or maybe even a wine in hand. As you watch the world go by outside your window. Mmm, short ribs. Good afternoon, this is your captain speaking. Which is why at Delta, our people do our best to make you feel at home. Refill? Long before you get there. Delta, keep climbing. Go spread the word. When you get a fresh, hot McCrispie from McDonald's and you can feel the heat coming through the bag, don't try to wait till you get home. Always respect hot chicken. The McCrispie, only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. been a sort of sex symbol i guess like since you were very young how old were you when you started on gossip girl 20 right that's so fucking young and i knew your name immediately as i did with lucas as i do with any of my friends who become the hot love interest on any of these shows very few men ever feel safe to talk about what that's like but what is what is it like? How does it fuck with your brain? Which part of it? The the intimacy part or just the the yeah, the objective no, the objectification. Like yeah. because there's no space for permission for men to talk about the fact that this feels they're treated like they're ungrateful. Yeah. But I know that no one actually yeah. needs permission, but I'm saying that the backlash implies that you do not have permission to be able to complain because you are being ungrateful for women's support. And again, that's just like, it's such a crazed double standard that we all need to really check ourselves for. But can I ask what that was like, the pressure of that much fame and specifically fame around your appearance? Yeah. Well, I would say that there's no overstating, really. It's it's effect on me in my life. I don't know how to measure it or explain it entirely, but it's it's influenced my life so much, so much. Mm. So far, there's been at least two points where I've questioned whether or not I continue doing it. One of them was right before I took Gossip Girl. The other was right before I took you, this this show. Mm. So if I try to just stay in my feeling, Mm -hmm. then I can say simply what it feels like. like Well, let's start with the feelings. Yeah. So the feeling really is not a good one. Mm -hmm. It's complex. What it feels like is is objectification. What that feels like is not good. It feels like um, being taken advantage of, mm-hmm. uh, not being seen and not being understood. It, it, it feels like those things. And I'm not, again, I know intellectually that it's not just those things. It contains some of those things, but it's not just those things. But that's, that's a lot of times what it feels like. And do you feel like it's harder, especially at 20, like it's harder to get I don't know, are the guys or people to take you seriously as someone with 
brain and sensitivity? I mean, I certainly tried to, if that wasn't happening and I could feel it, I would try to force it. And I did try to speak quite transparently about this back then. And I was called ungrateful or too serious. And uh, yeah, I think my feelings account for something that is true and maybe objectively true. Like all people experience some of these things all people in my position experience some level of these same feelings. And depending on their experiences, especially childhood experiences, that may or may not be more or less magnified. You know, like I am oriented because of some childhood experience so that I'm especially sensitive to the feeling of exploitation and manipulation. Not everybody is. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people are, mm-hmm. but not everybody is. And so some people might feel that and be like, eh. Is that because you started as a child star at like, you know, 11 years old? Well, it's because I started as a child star and then other stuff before that, which is just part of my own childhood experience, right, okay. you know, like, and I, it's not like I'm not willing to talk about that, but at the same time, it's... I mean, you are you yeah, are welcome I, to share, but I also don't want to overstep any of your personal boundaries. Yeah, yeah. I, I think for the time being, I, I probably, I, I won't, yeah. but but just because of childhood experience and my understanding of what how that shapes people. <laughs> it's also not to horribly generalize actors, but like, you know... Very few that I have ever met didn't come into this strange profession because yes. they yes. were not in yes. some way quite fragmented because of their childhood. Yes. Like you're looking for like love from the world or community or to live as a different person constantly than who you actually are or looking to communicate because you never knew, used to know how to communicate with people. So you find this medium. So, so oh, I know. You, you know, yeah. you're very much so not alone. And and I I've also have a very complicated past yeah. in these areas. And so... I definitely feel you. Yeah, I definitely know that. And that's why I'm erring on the side of caution and um, <laughs> by saying maybe it's just me, but I do think it's most or all people uh, working in this industry in the way that, that we work in the industry as actors, specifically as performers, you know. And let me say actually that that's not about art and performance. That's just about people who become successful in this industry performing. Because this industry looks to a few things, you know, how you look and how you act and how you look while you're doing it. And mm-hmm. I don't think these things are true about artists, period. But it, I think it's I think it's almost universally true about about actors in Hollywood mm-hmm. who are successful. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, yeah. That's what you're you're pulling from somewhere. But um, you were saying that so because it's like amplified yeah. because of previous experiences when you were young, and and then also you know it. It starts to define you. We we watch it happen to women all the fucking time. We know we know what this is, and that's why I always get so confused when we feel so dogged about criticizing a man who says the same thing. Like it, it's a tightrope to walk between the fact that it's flattering mm. and it's nice, and you get lots of attention and you get extra opportunities, and and you want those extra opportunities, and there is a privilege to it. But at the same time, it then overshadows so much of what people see in you then because you become that character in people's hearts for a really long time and Natalie Portman was speaking about this recently that after realizing Mm. how much she was being sexualized from kind of Leon onwards where she was I think like 
13 in that in that film she became like a very very deliberately very serious person publicly and became obsessed with getting people to take her seriously and chose the type of roles people wouldn't expect her to take and was like very 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 conscious very hyper conscious of every single thing she did and said to to seem as intellectual and as not just that one thing as possible so that she felt in control of the way that she was perceived and that probably robbed her i mean i haven't spoken to her about this on this podcast yet but i imagine that's also that also takes something a little bit away having to try and always force this other side of you do you know what i mean (laughs) yeah because it's a form of masking i mean my brain goes yeah it's that's a lot there it's not just a form of masking it's not really knowing who you are i mean when you strip this stuff away some i think for some people it's hard to know who you are it really does become so pervasive in your life and influences every single interaction you have with with everybody around you. And I think anyone can relate to yeah. that regardless of yeah, their Yeah, exactly. And there's yeah. some really interesting universal truths buried down in this stuff, which I meditate on. I, it's They're hard to explain with language. I don't have enough perspective yet or enough wisdom and experience. And But I, I hope in time to be able to distill it because it is fascinating. I feel like if fame and all of this is... It's some part of real human culture that affects us all, but there's very few of us who get the experience of being on the other side of it. And so I do feel like there's some kind of wisdom to be shared from it. And I don't hear it that often because I think it ends up kind of eating up and clouding most people's vision. But also people are afraid to fucking talk about it because they get treated like ungrateful assholes. So I mean, I I feel like I've made it my life's work in a way in the last five Mm -hmm. years to talk about it in a way that is meaningful and effective and and walks the line successfully enough that I don't get constantly dismissed as ungrateful or navel gazy. And of course, sometimes it happens. But and by the way, it's coming from a place where I think like there's something, many things quite wrong with our with our social world, with our society. There's something mm-hmm. quite toxic about our culture. And so I'm being given along with a select few others, this front row witness to an experience of how this part of the sausage is being made. I'm going to reference sausage as many times as I can in this interview, metaphorically. (laughs) Um, (laughs) You know, like, fame to me is a product of a sick culture. So I'm not a doctor, but I am at least being shown that sickness up close. There's hardly anyone I interact with where this isn't a part of, it doesn't influence our interaction in some kind of way. You know, I have two kids. My 14-year-old has actually asked for me not to come along to certain kind of things because it will change the experience we all have as a family. My two and a half year old, of course, hasn't thought to do that yet, but is noticing that people stop his dad a lot. And recently, you know, he'll he'll say as we pass someone who's just stopped us, strolling, whatever, um, he'll say, who's that? He's been saying that. Child for- is Russian. Oh, is Russian? Russian? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they all have accents as they're coming up. Before the, you know, they, 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 no, but I mean, he does actually often sound like he's some SNL skit version of an Eastern European accent. Yeah. It's like, that is so crazy. Yeah. Uh, uh, he, but he'll be like, who's that? And, and I'll have to think of some kind of genuine answer to give him. Right. And I do. And I, I've started to it's say. One of daddy's worshippers. 
Yeah, right. No. And and like, you know, I'm not, look, I'm not complaining. What I'm saying is like, but look, there it is. It's unusual. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's unusual. And I have to think about it. And and it, so, okay, there it is. That sucks about your 14 year old. I completely understand where they're coming from. It's just a weird thing where everyone, you yeah, know, I, totally, no yeah, one could, no allowed. one knows how to navigate this shit perfectly, but that must be uh, a little yeah. bit surreal for you. I mean, all of this, because one thing I would love to talk to you about, because you've been so open about it in the past is your mental health. This is a mental health podcast. And I imagine all this kind of like, feeds in but you've had anxiety since around the age of 12 uh i mean i i think it's probably more lifelong I right, guess. right right uh yeah why did you name 12 did i say that? you named 12 yeah when, when you were talking about it so uh, all i okay. have is your words to yeah. regurgitate back to you <laughs> but um why, can, why aren't you reading my yeah, mind but i um I, maybe that's when you were able to like name it or when it became really like really palpably noticeable because also when we're young we don't really know maybe what we're feeling. I had probably anxiety from the age of about three or four, but didn't really realize it until it had surfaced alongside the combination of hormones. But generally with your mental health, what has been your journey? What have been your biggest struggles? I mean, I'll be honest. It matters so much to me. The way I experience it and interpret it, I don't use the word mental health, but for, but for the sake of others. I mean, what is, what is mental if we're talking about health, like what is mentality? And I, and I'm, I'm not going to go into that. I would, but there's no, not enough time and nobody else is probably interested in what I think about that, but it's, I it's always think seriously. of emotional. I, th- I think of when I, when emo- I talk about emo- it, I think of emotional okay. stability, right? Okay. Things that can rock us off our course of just feeling level. Right. So actually I love what you just, you just, you, so, so, but what you did though, is you went from mentality to emotionality and mm-hmm. you talked about feelings rather than thoughts. Mm-hmm. And I think, like I said earlier, I think we live in a time that is so dissociated from feeling, Mm -hmm. so dissociated. We let our feelings kind of guide us wherever, but that doesn't mean that we are mastering them. We're we're dissociated from them. And And we've never named them more. We've never named or pathologized them more. Right. But we're not actually feeling safe to feel them. But we're dissociated from like love. Like define love, please. Every story is about it. Every song is about it. Please define love. You know, like it's a completely confused notion. And yet we talk about it on one hand, like it's the most powerful force in the universe. And then on the other, like it's pathetic and can't accomplish anything. And Whitney, fall, Whitney Cummings you know? defined it uh, really well, where she said, love is being willing to die for someone that you yourself want to kill. <laughs> <laughs> actually, that's uh, she's it's not pretty wrong. good. <laughs> she's not wrong. You know, I've actually been reading, no joke, uh, incredible resource recently. It's, it's old at this point, um, but it's by Bell Hooks called All About Love. Mm-hmm. And, um, it's, it's something that I passed by because I sort of thought like it was, you know, things can become so canon that you just, you yourself haven't read it, but you're like, ah, I guess culturally. You feel like you've absorbed it. Culturally, we've absorbed it and we've moved past it. Well, by the way, no, it's not the case at all. Like something that's truly masterful and radical, it's, we have not culturally absorbed it at all. It's been more or less culturally ignored Mm -hmm. and dismissed, even as it's lauded, which is a sign of true genius. I mean, I'm actually going to read to you how she defines love. As best as I understand it, I'm working through the book, but she she starts to give a working definition of love because she suggests that without a universal definition, we'll all just stumble around and never be able to actually experience and and give love. And she uh, she's echoing the work of of um, well, she's quoting M. Scott Peck from a classic called The Road Less Traveled, and he's echoing the work of Eric Fromm. And I'm saying all of this because this is what Bell And they all got what they're saying from me. So (laughs) I I think they forgot. And it is, (laughs) so this is how they are defining love. 
the will to extend oneself for the purpose of nurturing one's own or another's spiritual growth. And then explaining further, he continues, Mm. love is as love does. Love is an act of will, namely, both an intention and an action. Will also implies choice. We do not have to love. We choose to love. So anyway, that's like maybe a little bit intellectual, but, but I, no, I, thought that felt, I thought that felt very relatable. Yeah. I mean, what I understand of this book, one of the things and that I'm understanding in, in life is like how it's very hard to accept how little love we may have gotten and given. Mm-hmm. It's, it's very hard. And so as a result, we sort of keep a lot of relationships, if not all of them, very superficial. This is the defining trait of masculinity, by the way. Um, uh, that this is, you know, I joked earlier about the plight of men. I think this is actually a real plight of men, but which mm-hmm. men are, of course, we're all responsible for. So I'm not saying it's like, um, it's, it's, it's forced upon us. I mean, as human beings, regardless of, sex and gender. Yeah, nature and nurture is all forced on us yeah, as children. Exactly. But right? So but like and then as men we 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 perpetuate it and perpetrate it ourselves grotesquely, awfully so. Yeah, but it's in a pervasive and constant subliminal and aggressive messaging like so what is anyone mm-hmm. supposed to do? It's the same well, right. for Actually, all the genders. That's a good question. No, that's a really good question. What is anyone supposed to do? And that's a so how do we get on here because we're talking about mental health and then I brought up Yeah. I actually think like I've had such a profound mental health journey that I don't, I don't identify with the phrase mental health personally, but I use it, of course, because it's the one to use now. But think about how reductive it is. First of all, it assumes that there is a health you're missing. Because why? Why? Is it because of you and your brain? Is it just simply the chemicals in your brain? Or is it because you haven't experienced love, which you deserve? And what is mentality, by the way? What is the mental, what is the origin of our consciousness? Like, these are very profound questions, which... If you want to roll your eyes at, guess what? You got some work to do, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> like as we all do, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, I practically roll my eyes at it, which is why I make the disclaimer. It's, we're, it's very hard for us to talk about this stuff. We currently call mental health what I think can be boiled down to, it is the condition of your soul. It's the condition of your feelings and your heart. It is, and it, it influences- It's also contextual every- to like what we at society deem as like the ever-changing standard of normal, quote unquote, normal yes, behavior. Right. So, you know, women who were gay, people who were gay were considered mentally ill and right. thrown in asylums for the rest of their lives. Women in particular used to be institutionalized for- Hysteria. Hysteria, you know, or for um, having any feelings or dissenting right. in any way, for being a bit cold, like autistic women who didn't know they were autistic. All of these people just locked up, thrown away, told that they're crazy. Um, and now we've changed what acceptable behavior is. But I think that that could change again in 10 years time where we, you know, have a new way to identify and pathology normal human reactions to our society. I think it was like Esther Perel was talking about the fact that like, are we all depressed? Do we all have clinical anxiety? Or are we living in a world that is yeah. not designed for no, human wellness? Are we yeah. living in a world that is constantly anxious, constantly makes us feel unsafe? Are we having normal human reactions to a very, very like an increasingly eroding society? And then that is being diagnosed and medicated. This is not me saying that mental illness doesn't exist. I totally, I, I think it does. I've had it. But I'm just saying that the the numbers 
very reasonably correlate to the decline in our society. Of course, and yet yeah. we pathologize and medicate it and name it rather than actually looking at the source and fixing the cause of so many people's feeling over regulation. How can right. anyone feel regulated in such an irregulated society? It, yeah. And, and again, earlier you asked like, so what is anybody supposed to do in the face of such a systemic and huge problem? Mm -hmm. And I actually think that's a very serious question. What are we supposed to do? You know, again, I... We're supposed to bully each other and win on social media, Pen. Yeah, right. Or start We're podcasts. Clap or, back or, and right. slap down. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I, you know, I do have answers to that. Supposed to message actors' wives and have a go at them yeah. for the actors' yeah. uh, adult decision. I mean, I first, everyone seems to have to f surmise some kind of answer to that question for themselves. So what what do I do? I mean, I... Yeah, I do have some answers. They're kind of hard to talk about. Like, I mean, for me, it it, it is a like going back to that definition of love that uh, Bell Hooks offers, uh, and that at least two other men agreed with. Was it contained the word spiritual in it? You know, for me, it, it's it, it has to do with the human spirit. Like, it's it's really important and relevant here. You know, for me, meditation and prayer are foundations of my mental health you but you know you build on top of foundation so then beyond that i mean let's go back to that definition it said it said the will to extend oneself extend oneself for the purpose of nurturing one's own or another's spiritual growth so like actually being a father is really good great for my mental health there's a razor thin uh wire to to balance on there because the stress of parenthood in such an unsupportive culture is so great that it, of course, can be, quote unquote, bad for your, quote unquote, mental health. But then, of course, the whole question is like, well, what the hell are we even doing here? If being a parent is that bad for your mental health, what good is your mental health without doing things that you want to do and love doing and, and being a part of a community, part of a family, part of a home, whatever? You know, it, it's you can't separate yourself from the whole but you as an individual can't single-handedly change the whole. So we're up against a giant, giant, giant challenge. And I don't think of mental health on the reductive terms of the pop science kind of perspective, which I think is, it's just, you know, I mean, I, I have people very close to me who suffer immensely from mental illness. I don't think recognizing all of this and also recognizing that mental illness is real are in opposition with they're not another. conflicting no they're not yeah. conflicting i think so, we're just talking about the phenomena the explosion yeah. of it uh right there is an explosion this deficit of love that we have but love as a as a as a as a truly radical force which we do not understand yet at all you know something that bell hook says in this book which i also love because everything that she's saying is not a surprise but it's like confirming to what i've been slowly building of my own perspective and experience and she says that abuse cannot coexist with love. And that's very, very challenging to most people's definition of love because you would say, oh, I know my parents loved me or, oh, I know they loved me. I know so-and-so loved me. But if there's abuse in that relationship, I mean, if we're going by this, this definition, and of course I think mm -hmm. we have to remember that it's, it's a definition, so it should be treated like a, like a, like a hypothesis, but, so, but if it's true, let's try and see if it's true. Like, if love and abuse cannot coexist, 
in the same relationship, that would mean necessarily that we've had profoundly less love than we believe we have or that we say we do. And to acknowledge if that's true, that's Mm -hmm. very, very sad. There's no other word for it. There's no other word we should try to intellectualize around. It's very sad. And to really be with sadness is a hard thing that we spend so much time distracting ourselves from. Enter phones. Need say no more. <laughs> you know, like mm-hmm. there we just spend a lot of time distracting ourselves from our feelings because of how much sadness we carry. So what has been your personal journey then with all yeah. of this? Like having struggled for a long time, did you evade it for a long time? Were you all over it? I actually think I tried to look at it pretty directly and that's why I was considered a more serious 20-something than most of the 20-somethings around me. And it, it, it led to increasingly less sustained friendships. I mean, I, I was always, I always had the capacity to be very social. But, you know, my, my memory, I don't know that this is really true, but like my memory of, of the Gossip Girl days is like, everybody always wanted to go out and I would always sort of resist it. And I'd always get the sort of like, oh, it's so fun when you come out, bro. Like, come out, you know, you never come out with us. And it's like, whether it was a cast member or a crew member. And it, it's just, that was... Uh, some, you know, it was because of this. It was because I, I, that way of socializing and being was, has always seemed so coarse and arbitrary to me. It's funny. You're the only cast member I didn't used to interview all the time. Oh, really? Yeah. I interviewed everyone else from the cast, like frequently with every season. And I never got to interview you. I never met you. Well, in what context were you interviewing them? We were in England, like over in England. And we would do all these like incredibly stupid and reductive interviews. And I'm so sorry to the cast of Gossip Girl and everyone else I interviewed, but it wasn't my fault. I was 22 and I was made to do it by producers. I would have loved to have had proper chats with all of you. But yeah, I never got to kind of witness that side of you or that period. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I mean, if it was press related, I can't, I had to do the press that everyone else had to do. I don't know that I would have. Oh, you would have all just been divvied up. You were probably somewhere else. I Maybe, yeah. I, never got I, mean, to kind of, I never got to see you at that point. So I can't really just sort of listen. But I was just, it just struck me. I remember I was out with um, most of the cast one time and there was somebody who was not a part of the cast who I shall not name, but was famous at the time. And who said... It was, a, it was a, a woman, a young woman. So I was probably 23. She was somewhere around 25. I don't know. A lot of people would know who this person is. So I'm just giving you, just a, it's like a moment. Like this person you think who's Dan Humphrey and this other young famous woman who, you know, you've had ideas about. This is how a very brief conversation between us went at a club in like the West Village, you know, on some night, some arbitrary night of the week. Uh, she asked me, why are you so serious? And, you know, I had nothing to say to that because it was like all of this kind of sort of where we were was just kind of a dumb place. Everybody was carrying on in the way that you have to in those sort of scenarios, which, by the way, like so many people Mm -hmm. have social anxiety, which I think is an appropriate response to these places we choose to go where you have to yell over whatever. Yeah, I won't get into the whole thing, you know, and I just remember feeling so deflated then because I was trying to put on a face. I was trying to go out, you know? And, um, like, look, fine. You could, you could, you could, you could think that I was too serious and that I shouldn't take it all so seriously and get over myself. Okay, fine. But whatever the, my, but my experience was, and my feelings were like, oh, fuck, I, I, I'm trying right now. I'm really trying. I think so many people can relate to that. And they're told like, oh, you're young, you're in your twenties. Like smile 
smile, have fun. It gets harder after this. And you're like, yeah, but you know, I disagree with that. <laughs> I'm not going to be able to handle yeah, that. I, it so gets I. so much easier. And the more older people I talk to agree. We okay. actually just interviewed yeah. Julie Lewis Dreyfus the other day. Um, for our podcast, by the way, again, podcrushed on uh, every podcasting platform. Oh, fuck you... off, Ben. <laughs> There's the soundbite we're looking for. Um, uh, People are going to think yeah. that we've entered into a really abusive <laughs> Love cannot coexist in this. I know. I knew you were going to say that. Go on. Tell me about Julia. Uh, Louis Dreyfus. Um, oh, yeah, well, yeah, actually, yeah. In, her interview with, in, in her interview with another national treasure, uh, Jane Fonda, on her podcast, which is available on every podcasting mm-hmm. platform, Wiser Than Me. <laughs> uh, it's in the premiere episode. Go ahead and look for it. It is actually really uh, good. She, the, Jane Fonda and, and Julia Louis Dreyfus agree, at least, that being young is hard. Yes. I also agree. It sounds like you yes. agree. And again, why is it hard? I think it's because we're being introduced to all of these inanities and insanities of, mm-hmm. our, of our culture. Blah, 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 blah. So the world's fucked up, whatever. Um, yeah, I, 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 I grew up very attuned to that sadness. Didn't feel like it was worth dismissing. Mm-hmm. Tried to. You, at one point used a fair amount of weed and alcohol to, to administer to that sort of pain. Really didn't work very well for very long at all. And by the time I was 17, I couldn't smoke weed. And by the time, I mean, I've now been, I haven't had any form of substance uh, for probably eight years or so Mm -hmm. now. But, you know, I stopped enjoying drinking a lot, more or less, by the time I was like 22, 23. I think everybody has these experiences in some form or another, but it it gets magnified and fast-tracked when you have the celebrity component. Yeah, totally. And it was, you know, it was a very specific era where the industry really encouraged you to go out and not get into trouble, but, you know, make the splash and TMZ, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like that was, oh, totally. I yeah. think they want us to behave a bit better now. 2007, 2008. Us misbehaving was kind of like almost better for your name back then, whereas now it's more encouraged to like talk about green juice on the old Instagram and working out for <laughs> mental health and being a, you know, a good egg. Yeah, right, and, right, right. Uh, and people really only want to see you out at marches. They don't want to see you out in the club. I think people care. I love it when people refer to the club, but then also go go the extra thing and go the club. It's the club. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's because saying the club in my accent makes you makes it feel like a tennis club uh, yeah, yeah, with old people. <laughs> I don't know that people really care. I think people are losing interest in what celebrities have to say. So thank God. Yeah. Well, but then we're going to lose our podcast, won't we? It is what it is, Penn. <laughs> There's always going to be casualties. I'll sacrifice a podcast for the sake of social growth. Yeah, a bunch, <laughs> bunch of out of tune <laughs> people uh, speaking on these massive issues. I think we just need to get back to balance. We didn't have it in the 90s. We talk about the good old era. We just need to find more balance. I think that is coming. Yeah, sure. I think that people, there's a, there's more of a like a democracy to it all. And I think that's probably the good side of us all oversharing as everyone's gone. Maybe... They don't need to but share you know, there's, I, I'm pretty sure you already think this and agree that I'm just going to clarify, like, I don't think there's a back to, I don't think there was a balance. I think we do live in a new age. I think like, yeah, you look at, we're just, we're in, a, we're in an age that humanity's never been in before. We've like, and it's hard to contextualize for ourselves, but like before the mid 1800s, you know, in the first 50 years after like, you know, 1844, when the first telegraph was sent there was more scientific innovation and invention than there had been in all of humanity's history. Mm-hmm. 
That's just the first 50 years. Mm -hmm. That was like barely into 1900. Now we're in 2023 and AI is happening. And it's like, guys, we're not at least in the physical evolutionary level, the biological. Yeah, you don't need to do sex scenes anymore. People will just (laughs) make their own. (laughs) We're 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 not yet adequately prepared for what we're going through. And I think that's why a lot of us yeah. feel this way. I'm not saying that we can't get prepared, but I think we need to take stock of what's actually happening. And there's a whole hell of a lot happening. And when people just sort of try to shrug it off and dismiss it, like, ah, eh, you know, lighten up. I think that's disingenuous. I think like the, like anxiety is at an epidemic level, or is it, do we say pand? It's, a, it's just, just huge. Epidemic. High. Epidemic. And then um, yeah. like... Loneliness is the highest it's ever been right. in a time where we're the most connected. Yeah. And loneliness is being connected to more health issues than... I think smoking and and alcohol now yeah. because of the impact it has on your stress and the lack of touch, what that does to your uh, impact. We had Dr. Vivek Murthy uh, on the podcast at the very, I think it was like the first episode and uh, he was talking about it back then. And that was before either of us knew there was about to be a pandemic. <laughs> so it was crazed timing. It wow. was like the first week of March that I interviewed him. That's very cool. And two, two weeks later, the world would go inside. That's amazing. So it was, so if those were the statistics and that was the problem yeah, before the pandemic, yeah, he needs to write another book yeah. real fast. Or just, or just a really long, now. um, uh, you know, when there's like a, like a preface, like for the second edition, yes. just a, <laughs> yeah, a very long, long asterisk. <laughs> yeah. Home isn't just a place. It's a state of mind. Like curling up in a comfy chair while it's cold outside with a warm drink or maybe even a wine in hand. As you watch the world go by outside your window. Mmm, short rib. Good afternoon, this is your captain speaking. Which is why at Delta, our people do our best to make you feel at home. Refill? Long before you get there. Delta, keep climbing. Go spread the word. When you get a fresh, hot McCrispie from McDonald's and you can feel the heat coming through the bag, don't try to wait till you get home. Always respect hot chicken. The McCrispy, only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. So prayer, meditation, have you gone down the medication route? Have you done therapy? You know, I never have. And by the way, like, I have a parent who um, has taken, like, antipsychotics and had medication. There's a lot of people in my extended family who, of Same. course, have, you know— um, I, I, I never have. And I, you know, that doesn't, that you don't really need to justify or explain yeah, any of yeah, that. You yeah, just never, haven't. Well, what about therapy? Therapy? Yes. Therapy. Although, you know, the point, the place I've gotten to with my therapist is like, we use them as like prolonged meditation sessions where I'm again, like I did earlier. And I don't know if it, I don't know if you'll cut it or if it resonates with anybody, but, um, this like sitting with feeling like, I, you know, for whatever reasons I have enough intellectual capacity that, um, I don't need to figure things out intellectually a- mm-hmm. a- anymore. Like, I don't need to parse things out intellectually. I I need to sit with how I feel. Yeah, we all do. And um, that's what I do. I kind of meditate. In my therapy these days is really sitting with feelings. And then I can introduce thought, like, when I've really let the feeling be for a while. Well, this takes us back to when you were saying like, you know, this all goes against what it is to be a man, the the plight of man. Like that yeah. is not something that you often hear a man talk about or hear a man encouraged to do, even though it's the thing they most should do. Do you feel as though that has been especially hard for you to do or just something that you weren't told to do to connect, really just sit in the feeling, not the thought? Because our hemispheres 
you know, work slightly different as males and females, right. apparently. Yeah. Allegedly, according to the old science. Yeah, I've definitely heard things like that. Yeah, there's a difference in our connectivity because of white matter between the hemispheres and stuff, you know, so there's a difference in how we think. Was that something that was hard for you to do? Uh, connecting to feelings. Yeah, yeah. And I think my parents, if anything, were the liberal-leaning um, sort of people who would have if they had more ability to like encourage me to feel you know but they did not at all realize how they were perpetuating some of the worst tropes in the way that they understood how and were able to parent right and um so yeah connecting it look the reason that i speak the way that i do i've i've become conscious of recently is because i've realized how much i've had to think my way out of feeling very sad because of a lack of love in my home. Mm. That's just true. I can say that also somewhat confidently on a podcast, knowing that those who were a part of my home may or may not hear it, but I'm addressing it directly enough that this will become as no surprise to them. Mm-hmm. So, uh, because this is a part of, of our relationship now is this acknowledgement. Um, and I actually have the utmost, I, I always try to have more and more compassion for my parents because it's like, look, they, they, as essentially all people do, they were trying they, 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 yeah, they now that I'm trying. at the age that they were when they were doing yeah. it, I'm like, oh, <laughs> oh, okay. And that doesn't, you know, excuse everything, but no, it does somewhat it, explain. And I find there to be empowerment and explanation. Yeah, there's some kind of, you know, it's like if if they didn't know how to establish the right kind of boundaries and give the give give actual love. Um, mm. Well, they did give. They, there's something well, I'm learning how, I, and I'll be able to give more to my kids and. At some point, they'll recognize my flaws and do a little bit more. And then in a couple of generations, there'll be a lot more, you know, a lot more. Like a few generations ago, the Badgleys were, who God only knows like <laughs> what they were doing before World War I, during World War I and two. Yeah, so that's evolution. That's social evolution. That's spiritual evolution. And so now do you feel like you have a handle on your... Feelings. Your kind of feeling um, level? No, I think I'm, mm-hmm. I'm just... No, no, I don't mean handle on your feelings. That's the last thing I would course, want you to have. Course. Yeah, you asked I me mean, to bottle uh, it up uh, after yeah. I've just <laughs> dripped out one drop. Yeah, so do you feel like you can stop being such a fucking pussy now, Pen? Um, <laughs> there it is, sound like number two. <laughs> you... I love that one. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> um, no, um, it's great. Uh, by the way, I really, I, re- I really rate you. I think you're I, I think it's so special to hear someone talk about this. It's so special to hear a man talk about this sort of stuff. I think that um, we should hang out. I think my boyfriend's going to fall madly in love with you because I think you're very similar. It's very rare that I get to hear people talk from this point of view. Yeah. And it 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 means a lot. I've never said anything about your boyfriend, but I do love him. <laughs> oh, well, I mean, there it is. It's a date. I, a, lot, a, lot, a lot of people It's a date. Yeah, I'm sorry. I, uh, probably... I mean, I'm going to crowbar my way in there, but I mean, it's just that you two are just going to be off off together into the sunset, I can tell immediately, because he speaks a lot like this. And it's it's really nice to find more people, especially men who feel safe enough to talk about this stuff and stay safe enough to go against the, you know, there's this weird pushback against that that's kind of like 
spawned during the pandemic of men gaining a lot of traction for speaking the opposite way to this and being like, boys shouldn't cry and men should show this kind of weakness and we need traditional women and success. No man wants a successful woman, no, it's, but we don't want an alpha woman. We want this, that, and the other. And it's, and it's, a gro- it's not a minority. It's like a, it might hmm. be a minority now, but it is growing in numbers that like make me feel physically uncomfortable because it's the antithesis of what I see boys need. And this is advice is gaining a lot of traction. And so voices like yours are needed more than ever. Um, Uh, Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. Because even the men talking about this stuff, they don't seem well. Of course not. They seem like they're speaking from a large place of fear. I don't mean that in a judgmental way. I just mean they're speaking from a place of of fear and pain and disassociation. Yeah, definitely. They sound disassociated and they think there's safety and disassociation. I think we've all felt that. You and I have both gone through that when we were younger. There is a safety and disassociation for a while. In the moment. But then you become so numb and far away. That's what trauma, that's right. That's what trauma is. Like it's, it's not what happens in the moment. In the moment, there's actually a really lovely built-in response to dissociate, which helps you through. It's that for the rest of your life, if you haven't really recognized and processed that event, the trauma is, again, not what happened. It's what it's the way you feel and respond to events that have nothing to do with that original event. And you're constantly imagining it and having this the same response throughout life. Yeah. That's my understanding of, uh, done a lot of, reading of Gabor Mate. Yeah. Also been on my podcast by the oh title of Podcast. Uh, hey, if you're listen, trying comedy to get me to swear for a third time <laughs> on my own podcast because you are entrapping me into yeah. <laughs> some sort of a scandal. Um, I, lo- I love him. I think he's so fantastic. He's brilliant. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to get him on my podcast. You could definitely get him. I'm going to get him on my podcast. Start a podcast. But also, let's be in a movie together and play asexual. <laughs> 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 Let's do it. Let's start that fucking trend. Yeah, that's all right? interesting. That's an interesting idea. I think I think it would be great. James can do the music. It might be a little bit like the Jonas Brothers wearing purity rings, though. That's fine. You know Is what? Fine? <laughs> I- <laughs> okay. Yeah. Sure. Right. I'll take it. Um, let's shake shit up. Let's shake shit up. It all works right. For them. I so appreciate this chat. Please come back. Trudy, anytime. I'm happy. Oh, wait. Did you answer the question as to whether or not you feel more levelled? Because we keep going in like nine thousand directions. Um, yeah, I didn't really. Uh, I've just begun to to really take account of of the lack of love, and mm. you know, yeah, I've just begun, and so, but that's the beginning of being able to to love. Well, you know where the problem is, and Some, so now yeah, you know somewhat. where to pour I mean, in. It, it it still makes it sound so much easier <laughs> than it is, but yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm happy that you have a supportive home and I uh I'm happy that you've even got to the place where you can identify what's really going on and I'm I feel I feel confident um with absolutely no educational schooling that uh you will That's have a where confidence positive, comes from. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's how you become the president of the United States. <laughs> but I um I think that you have a good chance of finding that peace because you are coming at it from a place of such focus on love. And I think if we could all focus more on that rather than just like labels and pathology, I think that we would all find Mm. ourselves in a better state to be able to together take on the cause of most of our problems, which is the sickness in our society. We just have to get ourselves, we have to love ourselves before we can start to love each other that way. You you summarize things really well. You summarized, I noticed that when you were on our, uh, my podcast, I won't do it again. Uh, <laughs> uh, I noticed that you summarize things very, very well. 
yes, that is happening. <laughs> what, <laughs> Thank you. What you just uh, said. I appreciate said. that. I appreciate that. Yeah. And oh, oh, maybe you know what? We'll continue. Actually, one thing I did want to add about that uh, is is that it's not a linear process at all. And there are moments throughout every day where I glimpse and feel, you know, the handle that you were talking about. It's not at all like it is in a container and you pour it out or pour some in. It's, it's, it's a far more multifaceted experience. And that's where I think the, the reason prayer meditation even does anything is because it's a, it's a really vast, expansive kind of landscape, our interior. And those things are, are tools that are suited to it, you know? And yeah, I just, I just think that it's like, it's for, for all of us, like the little bit of encouragement, maybe I can sort of like adorn this with is, um, it really happens in the smallest of moments and you can have utter clarity, like utter clarity. Mm -hmm. I was working with a professional, uh, who specializes in like trauma recovery and he said something, and he's been doing it for 40 years. He's like, he's a, he's a real master. He said, uh, you know, much earlier in life when he was like in his thirties or something, he had this moment where he said like, it all came into focus. And the work that he was studying, which he has now been doing his whole life, you know, all of the, basically everything we've tried to cover in this interview, he was like, all of it, you know, kind of came into clarity. And I, ha I had such peace and such, and such like, and these are now my words, but what I understood is like, you know, I had such like a confidence and stability and groundedness in this moment of clarity. And guess what? I never became that person. Like, I didn't mm. just suddenly have that and... Uh, become that person who is that all the time and wields it, you know, for themselves. It's nice to know what it looks yes, like. Exactly. It? Yeah. It's and that so I'd say yeah. that's what it is. It's like we we glimpse these things, you know, it's it's uh we glimpse enlightenment. We, yeah, we 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 glimpse enlightenment and by the way, just throw I'll throw in a little bit of perspective, you know, my understanding of our spiritual reality is that the the, the reality of our essence continues beyond the transition we call death there is some sort of experience in reality to, to recognize and speak to yet we of course cannot know it but for glimpses and we are in some sense preparing for that reality in these moments you know i mean i'm going to hell but sure yeah so you're preparing in those moments yeah to just, i'm preparing to, i'm preparing yeah, you're just yeah, putting yeah. on sunblock yeah, and, um, I have a hot water bottle on me right exactly. now to get used to those hot, hot temperatures. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I am. Um, I agree. I agree, and and I think this has been wonderful food for thought. Will you please tell me, Pembatri, what do you weigh? What do I weigh? You know, it sounds so trite to people who I think to people who don't have kids. It's family for me. Like it's, it's specifically like there are three things that I weigh myself by, and sometimes I'm coming up real emaciated. I'll recognize is uh, my relationship with my my stepson, kind of first and foremost, actually, because it's the most mm -hmm. challenging. My wife and my my biological son. And they're all at such completely different ages and they're all, it's also different that, uh, you know, it's like a great Venn diagram. If they're all in some kind of good place, it's a really great sign and a great feeling. And then I suppose so another thing that I'm 
feeling my worth through is um, converting all of this kind of stuff we were talking about earlier in terms of fame in my career. I really want to convert that into something lasting and meaningful. And, uh, you know, what that means, we'll see in time. I'm trying to do things. But yeah, you know, try, really trying to convert all of this because I've put so much time and energy into into this. Whether or not I've wanted to, I've kind of had to at points. And I really would love for it to mean something to others that's like, that's like really helpful and valuable, even just for these special little moments. So that's, yeah. So those are, mm. those are, that's four things. That's solid. I think you're doing a pretty bloody good job, especially of that last one. I can't speak to your family life, but um, everyone's still alive. <laughs> I, well, you know, my phone's been on airplane for a little bit. We're not sure. <laughs> no, don't say that for fuck's sake. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Um, but uh, I think, I think you are doing something meaningful and thank you for being so thoughtful today. And uh, let's, or hang out soon. I'd love to meet your wife. Yeah, that'd be great. Um, all right then. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. I Weigh with Jamila Jamil is produced and researched by myself, Jamila Jamil, Aaron Finnegan, and Kimmy Gregory. It is edited by Andrew Carson, and the beautiful music you are hearing now is made by my boyfriend, James Blake. If you haven't already, please rate, review, and subscribe to the show. It's a great way to show your support. We also have a bonus series exclusively on Stitcher Premium called Ask Jamila Anything. Check it out. You can get a free month of Stitcher Premium by going to stitcher.com forward slash premium and using the promo code iWay. Lastly, over at iWay, we would love to hear from you and share what you weigh at the end of this podcast. You can leave us a voicemail at 1-818-660-5543 or email us what you weigh at iWayPodcast at gmail.com. And now... We would love to pass the mic to one of our fabulous listeners. Here's an iWay from one of our listeners. iWay discovering that I'm autistic and holding on to that identity even when everyone around me seems to question it. I weigh my strong sense for justice and my desire to help others. I weigh giving myself a break to recover from burnout. I weigh taking medication for my mental health and fighting the stigma around it one step at a time. And I weigh my love for nature and for our beautiful planet. Home isn't just a place, it's a state of mind. Like curling up in a comfy chair as you watch the world go by. Good afternoon. Which is why at Delta, our people do our best to make you feel at home long before you get there. Delta, keep climbing. Go spread the word. When you get a fresh, hot McCrispy from McDonald's and you can feel the heat coming through the bag, don't try to wait till you get home. Always respect hot chicken. The McCrispy, only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.